So this sermon is actually entitled Awkward Forgiveness. So it's, it's, it's kind of fitting that I'm beginning awkwardly uh, here. And I think I might be one of the last people that still like the show Undercover Boss. Um, I know a lot of you all have given up on that show. I think it first, first started in 2010. So uh, it's kind of unbelievable that it's still actually rolling, but it is. And uh, I, I watched a few episodes of it on spring break. Um, when I was in Destin uh, with my family, and so it's still going. And um, I think one of my favorite episodes is when the CEO of TaylorMade, which is like a golf company, um, goes undercover. And I love this episode because uh, his name is Mark King, and he gets totally busted. I mean, not even like close. He, he's like 100% busted uh, on the factory floor. And um, essentially, he uh, people, you know, start coming up to him. So um, he, uh, and what I love about it is Mark starts out okay in the episode. Like everything's good. He's kind of keeping his, he has a decent costume, but you know, he's kind of keeping everything together. And then um, the more the show goes on when he, he in, he's on the factory floor, the more awkward people become. Uh, it gets to be a point where other departments start like coming over and like gawking at him and just saying like, I think that's him. I think that's our CEO, you know? And it just, he knows it. He kind of spills their eyes like burning, you know, uh, a hole on him and he's still trying to keep up his cover and everything. And then finally, someone has the courage to come up and say, hey, um, I think you're our CEO, Mark King, right? And he's like, yeah, that's me. Um, and <laughs> he has to, his cover's blown. He has to admit who he really is. He's the CEO. And he's been working that whole afternoon like on the factory floor. Um, and I thought about that moment in that show because the passage we have this evening, uh, Jesus is acting so inappropriately uh, in the passage that the disciples are just filled with this anxiety, this sort of awkwardness uh, about what's going on. And it's kind of like the factory workers at Undercover Boss. They're, they're just sort of awkward for him, um, kind of can't believe it's happening. And how could their teacher be submitting himself to such a menial task uh, as to, to foot washing in that, in that day. And so, um, but what we're going to see tonight is that what Jesus does in the midst of their awkwardness is more significant than what it might be appear, appear that he's doing. Um, he's not just washing uh, the disciples' feet. He's giving them a paradigm for Calvary. And it's, it's fitting that we're, we're talking about this tonight on, as we approach um, the Easter season and, and all that. And because he's teaching them that the only requirement for salvation is that they have to let the Savior wash them. And that's awkward. Um, and we're going to see that when Jesus is doing the washing, when he's the one doing it, um, they are completely clean. Because for us, Jesus is able to wash us completely. And so I hope tonight that we would all join together and we would let him wash us completely. And so I really just have two points. Uh, it's very simple. One is only Jesus can wash you. And secondly, when Jesus does wash you, you are completely clean. So let me read the passage. It's in John. It's in the, printed in the program if you have it, if you have your Bible. It's John 13. Um, I'll read it and then pray, and then we'll, we'll get into it. So hear now the Word of God. John chapter 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, 
when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his, his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does, does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. The word of the Lord. Lord, I do pray that your word would be living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. It would penetrate even a dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. God, would you speak now through your word? And as I prayed this week, I pray that we collectively would repent of self-sufficiency. God, we would, would come to you with dependent hearts and that we would be clean. Father, I pray for everyone in here that they would experience the healing balm of the gospel, that they would, we would all experience uh, the healing that comes from being knowing that we are completely clean. There is not, not one wrinkle or blemish left. That as Psalm 51, just, we just read, that we are whiter than snow. Father, would we all believe that about ourselves if we are in Christ? God, help us to, to acknowledge how we're like Peter and to repent and turn and be healed. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So, um, only Jesus can heal you. Verse 1, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to be with the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. As I read this this week, I thought about it seems like Jesus is coming to that point where he's starting to like look back on his ministry. And I thought what was significant about that moment is that the people are what came to his mind. He didn't think about miracles he'd done. He didn't think about uh, cool experiences he'd had or even the hardship that he'd in endured. But he thought about the people, that they were on his mind at the very end. And it's, it's significant that Jesus says, uh, that it says that he loved his own and he loved them to the end. It means that he never stopped loving them. He never wavered. That here at the end of his life, as he's about to go to the cross, he's looking back and he's saying, I've, I've loved them to the very end. And he's also loved them to, to the extent of his love. He took on their filth. 
And in this act that we're about to, to read, he's going to take on their filth. He's going to literally touch them and clean them. And that's what he's going to do on the cross in, in the, the uh, days to come. And so in verse 2, it says, During Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Um, in the midst of the betrayal, and he knew that, that was, he was going to go through that, from Judas, Judas was one of the feet that he, that he cleaned that he washed. He moved towards them even in the midst of, their, of, of his betrayal. Verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. There's a moment when he's understanding who he is and what he's come to do. That he's come from the Father and he's going back to the Father. And it was that knowledge that drove him to wash the feet of the disciples. It didn't drive him to, to pridefully think, I'm the Son of God, I don't need to do this. Um, he, he, he said, I'm the only one who can do this. Certainly other people could have washed the feet of the disciples, but only he was able to wash their hearts. He uniquely is the only one who could atone for sin. And he knew that what he was demonstrating right there when he washed their feet was going to have a significant impact on how they would view the cross. And then in four, he rose, rose from supper. He laid, it, laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. And then verse five through the, the end is what we'll focus on. It says, then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the, the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. As I read this week, one commentator wrote, Jesus' action was unprecedented. A wife might wash her husband's feet, children might wash their father's feet, and disciples might wash their master's feet. But in every case, it would be an extreme act of devotion. Foot washing was normally carried out by a servant, and not by those participating in the meal, and certainly not by the one who was hosting the meal. In fact, if there was a Jewish and a Gentile slave, the task would have gone to a Gentile slave, not just not not even a Jewish slave. It was it was listed as, as some of the things that the Gentile, I mean, Jewish slaves did not have to do. Um, and so the fact that he was doing this was unprecedented. And I think the thing that kept coming to my mind is, as as I was thinking about this is we don't have an ivory tower God. We, have a, we serve a God who enters into the mess. He doesn't, just, he doesn't do it with gloves on. He doesn't ask somebody else to go do it for him. He enters into the mess, and he, t he literally touches their feet with his bare hands and cleans them. And that's what he does for us. He touches us with his bare hands. He doesn't give us a gift card so we can go get a foot massage. Uh, he, he literally does it himself. Um, he takes it upon himself to do what the others weren't willing to do. And in verse 6, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And at first I was kind of annoyed by this. I was like, Peter again, he's an idiot. You know, <laughs> Marshall talked about him last week, and he's one of my favorite characters because he is an idiot. And he just says what the rest of the disciples are thinking. Like, everybody's silent. No one's saying anything. It's, it's really awkward. And he blurts out, like, are you going to wash my feet? Um, it's, but honestly, it's admirable that he would say that. He, uh, he's acknowledging the inappropriateness of what Jesus is doing. You can't fault him for his, his, his mouth. He's just saying what it is. 
But he clearly doesn't understand that what's happening is more than just a, a teacher stooping down to wash the feet of the disciples. That is inappropriate in and of itself. But he's, he un, doesn't understand that it's the Lord of heaven and earth who's, who's stepping down and giving his disciples a picture of what he's about to do on a cosmic scale. In verse 7, Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. As I said, Jesus is giving them a symbol that they can look back on later. He was giving them a foretaste of Calvary. Jesus wasn't, was going to take their filth upon himself so that they could be made clean. His action in washing the disciples' feet represented much more than just a ceremonial activity. This, may, this is made clear by the way he responds to Peter in the next verse. If this was just about washing feet, he wouldn't have said what he's about to say here in verse 8. He, Peter says to him, You shall never wash my feet. Which is unbelievable that Peter has the audacity to say that. But then, his, then Jesus' response is even more. He says, Je, says, Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And it wasn't just talking about you can't come participate in this meal. He was saying that you have to have a heart that's utterly dependent, Peter. You have to trust me with everything. You can't wash yourself. You can't make yourself clean. It's, it's going to require total dependence. The disciples had to awkwardly allow their Savior to touch the dirtiest part of them and to clean it. They had to relinquish the idea that they could wash themselves. Jesus makes it abundantly clear that Peter and all of us must trust in him to wash us. Verse 9, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And the way he responds, it just shows he doesn't understand. He doesn't understand that this is, this is not about your head being clean, or your hands being clean, or even your feet being clean. This is about your heart being clean. And that's what was going on. As I said, I was at the beach uh, for spring break uh, a couple weeks ago and got an awesome picture with my, with my daughter illustration. Bring that in now. Um, and I always have to bring one in. Um, she was, so I was, I was pretty mad most of the trip because I couldn't decide. I had chacos and I would walk out onto the beach and get sand stuck in my chacos. And then I would just, man, like, am I going to take them off, walk across the road barefoot, or am I going to put them back on and get blisters? I was like mad because I couldn't get all the sand off. That, that was the constant thing the whole time was how am I going to get the sand off and get back to the other side of the road? You know, first world problem. So, um, but Kate had, was going to go wash in the ocean, and so she, she had sand all over herself, and so she ran into the ocean, dove in, got washed off, and then took off running back up the beach, and immediately, you know, wet skin, like sand starts sticking, and then she falls, and she falls right, and everything, like, gets sandy, everything is stuck, and she's, she's like, at first she's like, ah, and I'm like, well, just get back in the water, you can wash off again, so she goes back in the water, washes off, and she takes off running again, and then this time she intentionally falls, she, like, just, like, whoa, 
woo, you know, and like dives in into the sand and it's sandy again, like, okay, we can just walk and watch, so we come back. And then it becomes a game. So it's back and forth about four or five times. And I'm finally like, okay, listen, Kate, I'll put her in the water. I'm gonna pick you up, I'm gonna carry you out, out of here so that you're not gonna get sandy. And I thought, man, that's it. That's what that's what the Lord does with us every time. We try to clean ourselves, we keep going in the ocean, and we keep thinking, this is gonna do it this time. If I'm just sincere, when Justin's doing this confession up here this time, that'll be it. I'm good. I've cleaned myself this, this week. But we don't realize, like, we literally have to let the, the Father pick us up and carry us. We literally have to endure the awkwardness of having the Father wash the dirtiest part of our heart. Only He can do that. We can't possibly clean ourselves up. Uh, and we have to give up that endeavor. And so the question is, are you going to let Jesus wash you? Are you going to prefer, or are you going to prefer the awkwardness of having the creator of the universe touch your nasty feet, or are you just going to keep them dirty? Because the only option in the Christian life is to let him touch your feet. I think most of us know that we're probably saved, that we're saved not by our works. I think this church is pretty clear about that, not saved by works, saved by, by faith. But is that the way we live? Or do we functionally live like we just, he saves us the first time, he cleans us off the first time, then it's kind of up to us to kind of keep it clean. You might even be, believe that Jesus clean, cleans you, but do you know that he cleans you every single time? There's not a time that he doesn't clean you. It's never up to you. Um, and so the, the, I think the application for this, this sermon is to stop trying to clean yourself and instead let Jesus clean us. Secondly, when Jesus washes you, he washes you completely. Verse 10, Jesus said to them, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. I think what people have taken this passage and they've applied it at, at corporate functions, or, you know, oh, we're all going to wash each other's feet, and, you know, it, because there's, there's some verses after this that say, do like, like you know, uh, do like this, you know, this is the example to follow. And I'm not saying this isn't an example to follow. It's not a paradigm to have for the Christian life. But I think what we have to realize is that this isn't just an example to follow. This isn't just we should serve each other like Jesus served us. This is that Jesus is literally the only one who can possibly fulfill this role of cleaning our hearts. He's the only one who could. There's no one else that has ever lived a perfect life. And so he's the, he's, he's the only one who has the ability to save us. And I, as I thought about this, I thought he, when, he saves, when he saves us, when he cleans us, he doesn't leave some of it for us to keep doing throughout our life. He cleans every single bit of us. And I thought, what are th what's some things that Jesus washes us from? So I've got three things. One is the sins we knowingly commit. Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I think we, we usually think about this when we think about what Jesus did for us on the cross. We think, he saved me from my sins. The things that I do that I've done wrong, that I know I shouldn't do, that I keep on doing. We're painfully aware of the ways we've blown it. We carry around that shame, I did this, and now it's, it, it's causing this effect in my life. I've done this sin, and I've been the one, I'm the perpetrator. 
Um, but I think there's two more things I think we forget that Jesus did on the cross when he washed us. Secondly, he washed us from the good we've left undone. And the, the uh, confession of faith we just said, we talked about that. There's good things that we've, we've omitted from our lives. James 4.17, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Romans 14.36, whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. I think there's things that in our lives that we know in the back, deep down that we've, we've intentionally not done. It's not that we haven't, we've overtly committed sins, but that there's, thing, there's good things that we know we ought to do and we've left those things undone. And, the, and Jesus washes you from that guilt. And when the Holy Spirit prompts us to do something, I think I often say, no, nah, that, that won't work, or that's just me trying to feel guilty about it, or have a guilty conscience, or, you know, if I lived that way, it'd be legalism. Uh, but I think the Lord does put that, that on our hearts because he wants to show us what's true. But I tell you, you won't be able to do it all. You can't possibly do all the good that you ought to do. So we need Christ. And thirdly, I think he, 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 he washes us from the unique ways that we've been wounded. As I thought about this passage, uh, if you have your Bibles, flip to Joel 2.25. Joel opens up in verse 4. It says, What the cutting locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. And what the hopping locust left, the, the destroying locust has eaten. I don't even know how those locusts got involved, but they've all, they just keep killing it, what the other one left. And everything is destroyed. It's utter decim decimation. And then you get to chapter 2, verse 25, and he says, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army which I have sent among you. There's all of us have something, some way that we've uniquely been injured by the sin of others. The way I've thought about it in the last couple of years is that sin splatters. We, when, we, when we sin, it splatters on other people. And we need to be cleansed from the way that we've been hurt by other people's sin. We need Jesus to heal our, not just our dirty feet that we stepped in, but our scuffed up and battered feet. The way that we've been hurt and injured by other people's sin. Abrupt transition, but I, I didn't really think of a good one. Best Western is a hotel chain. And uh, <laughs> a lot of y'all think you're too good for Best Western, and I get it. I, I've... I've said it a few times at a Best Western, and uh, I thought to myself, I'm too good for this place. And um, I, I understand. The problem is, is that Best Western knows their Best Western. And they realized that no matter how hard um, the cleaning people scrubbed, the telephone, the TV remote, the toilet, all the, the problem areas of a hotel, um, they could not get the, the place clean. No matter how much they tried, there was always still something left over. And so they've started using black lights 
to expose uh, what's been left behind. So now part of their best practice is every time uh, that they've cleaned the, the hotel room, they will come through with a black light and search the whole room. And if they find anything that's been left behind, they will expose it to UV uh, light. The same uh, principle, that's the same procedure that's used in hospitals to sterilize the equipment is what Best Western has now started doing in their hotels to make sure that, it, that all the rooms are clean. And I think that's what the Lord does in our own lives, is we think we've pretty much got it clean. Pretty much got a clean life, got it cleaned up. Um, Peter kind of thought he was clean. But I think we have to admit that no matter how much scrubbing we do, we can't be clean. We can't be 100% clean. And we really literally have to trust that the light of the world, Jesus Christ, would come in and burn the, the crevices of that bacteria and germs that exist in our own room, in our life. And that he would cleanse us completely and utterly um, so that we can be have those things cleaned. And so the question I have for you is, what sin do you, do you deep down believe that the Lord couldn't possibly love you because of? What sin have you, do you commit and you're like, I just, there's no way the Lord can, can forgive me of this. And I want you to know that, I want you to realize that Jesus loves you right in the middle of that sin. He doesn't wait till you show up at church to repent of it. He doesn't, you know, wait till you feel bad about it enough. Like, he loves you right in the middle of it. That's how much he loves you. Secondly, what good have, I, have you left undone? Pray that the Lord would convict you now instead of later of things that you, that you know that you should do and you don't. Don't let the conviction of the Holy Spirit pass you by. Don't be like me and make excuses for it. But trust that the Lord has brought something to bear in your life, some good that he wants you to do, and don't leave that undone. And lastly, ask the Lord, where do I need to be healed? What unique wound do I need to, to, to let God heal me? What do, what do I feel like the locusts have eaten and there's no possible way it could be restored? Undercover Boss, um, if you've ever seen the show, you, you know at the end um, of Undercover Boss, the boss meets with everyone that, that, that they've shadowed um, and worked with. And usually they reveal their true identity and, you know, they start awarding, handing out bonuses and promotions and all this stuff. And, you know, everybody gets a good cry in. And, um, I mean, the one with Mark King is unreal. He gives away a $3,000 to a girl who wants a dog. He pays for somebody to get a trip to Australia. He pays for some kid's college. It's, it's pretty incredible. Um, and, in fact, I walked away from that episode thinking, man, I'm going to throw my clubs in the trash, go get some TaylorMades, and uh, get those things out this spring. But at the end of the day, an undercover boss, no matter how impactful or humbling it is, the experiences for the boss, they always go back to being the boss at the end. Um, as close as I now feel to Mark King, you know, the, the CEO of, of uh, TaylorMade, he's still going to drive his BMW back to his Florida home and hang out there and has a putting green in the back and he's going to do his thing. He's going to have to go back to his ivory tower. But our Savior doesn't do that. He continues to intercede on our behalf at the right hand of the Father. Romans 8.34 said that he is forever our priest cleaning us, healing us, making us new again.
And so I think there's, t- there's really just two things that I think we need to do tonight. And I'm pretty convinced that we all need this. One is we need to repent of how we're like Peter, how we're unwilling to let Jesus wash us. And I think we need to be convinced that we, can, we can't wash ourselves. We can't manage our own sin problem. And then secondly, let the Savior clean you completely. Let him forgive you of the sin that you can't seem to overcome. Let him pursue you even though you don't understand what he's doing. And let him apply the balm of the gospel to your heart. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this passage. Thank you for your your word that is living and active. And that it shows us that we're not alone for feeling like Peter, for feeling awkward about forgiveness, for not feeling oddly exposed, that we're just like the disciples, we're just like Peter, and we need you to wash our feet. We need you to show us, to give us a sign that points to the, to the Calvary, Father, that you rose from the grave, and that we have the hope of a on our behalf right now at the right hand of the Father, cleaning us, making us pure as we leave this place. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.